Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. I'm sure you know this, but occasionally we need to be reminded there's no two people alike. Look at your neighbor and say, you are unique. There are no two people alike. I was reminded of that this past Wednesday. So I'm floating around trying to get to know people. I decided to make my way to the kitchen. And some of you are laughing. You probably know this guy. I made my, no, I didn't go to the kitchen to eat, you know, before everybody else. Though I could do that sometime, I could be guilty of that. But I went to the kitchen to try to see who was volunteering. We have some wonderful volunteers here, by the way, not just on Wednesday night, but other, other times. That's what the church should do and to be and to serve. But I went there and I met the sweet lady that's in charge. She's a gracious lady. And I found out pretty quickly she's married to a character. His name, if I've got it right, is Alvin Lyons. Is that right, Jay? His name is Alvin Lyons. He's a preacher of all things. And, and, I, and here's what I found out. No two people are like Alvin, as he starts messing with me and talking about how he's really responsible for all the good food out there and what's going on, teasing with me a little bit. He says, I have an identical twin, he said, but he's ugly. No two people are alike. And as I'm beginning my ministry with you for the next, by God's grace, 20, 30, 40 years, I want you to know that you've you've never had a pastor like me And you never will again, bless your heart. No two pastors are alike. So you need to remember that. As we are starting this ministry together, a kingdom partnership, we we just need to know who we are. And so I felt like today, it's going to be kind of a unique sermon. I will likely never preach this sermon again as your pastor. You just need to know that. It's a message, but it's also a kind of a talk. And I think you'll get it as we walk through this, because I want you to know who I am and who I'm not, because it might give you a head start. And it may be that people start visiting our great church, and they may think, Oh, I heard this guy's like this. And it may be, no, I'm not. Or you may say, well, I, 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 I know that we, we don't join a church because of pastor, and you don't need to do that. But I heard this guy is not like this, and I may be like this. And so I thought, you know, briefly, overall, I'm going to share with you my shape. Now, I didn't say I was in shape. I'm working on it. But I want you to know that every one of us, and you probably, this is not original with me. You probably heard this acrostic, S-H-A-P-E. It's on your listing sheet, back of your worship guide. Everybody that is a child of God has a shape. And so, 
as I share with you my understanding of my shape, and my wife is down here to testify. If I get it wrong, go up to Kelly afterwards and say, well, was he right? And she'll tell you. She'll tell you. As a matter of fact, I've got a friend down here, Robert Botkins. We graduated from Clinton High School back in the day, and he was a member at Morrison Heights, and Robert drove down here graciously. He's sitting right here. Let me just tell you something real quick. Robert's known me a long time. When I moved to Clinton after living in Kosciuszko my whole life, Clinton, kind of a tough place to break into, and I went my junior year, my first class. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know where to sit, and Robert Botkins was kind to me. You don't forget stuff like that. Ask him. Now, I just want you to know that as we do this, it may be that you need to be reminded that God has given you a shape. It's not just a preacher thing. He's given you a shape. And so, as a child of God, you need to know what lane to stay in. And over a period of time, as we experience different things in life, we have a better idea. You know, this is me. This is not me. And so that's where we're headed in this second message. And here's what the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10. We are God's handiwork, or another version says workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are not saved by works but because we are saved by the grace of God, putting faith in Jesus alone, John 14, 6, then he wants us to work. There are things for us to do until we enter glory. As much as we can, the best we can, there's transition in seasons of life. We talked about that a little bit last week as we talked about Sweet Sue. But all of us has a shape, and we need to understand how God has wired us and shaped us for the glory of God so we can get busy and fulfilling his purpose. Now, I want to invite you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, in a minute, I'll be reading again out of the NIV, verses 4 through 8. I'll be reading again out of my new Bible, which I shared with you last week I got from my journey here. Now, while you're turning there, I, I want you to look at your finger. Okay, now I know you, you, can do, you can do two things. We're from Mississippi. We can do this. We can multitask. So here's what you do. You, you, you turn in your Bible or just, just listen closely. And I want you to look at your finger. And I want you to please repeat after me. Okay, you ready? God made me unique. I ain't like my mama. My Aunt Bessie or this dude or dudette sitting next to me. God made me to be me. I am unique. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's great. You weren't supposed to say that, but I'm glad you did. Hallelujah. We are unique. God made us that way. I don't know why sometimes we all get caught up and saying, oh, I wish I could play the guitar like this or sing like this or talk like this or preach like this or do medicine like this or make better grades like so-and-so. And, and sometimes if we're not careful, we try to be somebody we're not. So today is just a reminder that God has made us all different. You know, my dad... <clears throat> 
was named Harold Tribble Kitchings. Told you this already. Going somewhere with it. My name, Harold Tribble Kitchings. By the way, I-N-G-S. There's nothing wrong with those that spell it wrong, E-N-S. But I'm a Kitchings Junior. I'm Harold Tribble Kitchings Junior. That's why I go by how. My son. Yep, we did it to him. Harold Tribble Kitchings Third. He goes by Trey. You know what his oldest son is? Clayton Scott Kitchings. I had no influence on it. But I can tell you this, all three of us, my daddy's in heaven, my son is an adult minister in uh, Highland Park, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, Highland Park Baptist Church with Brett Pittman. All three of us were different, okay? My dad was, uh, was uh, let me just put it like this, he was the most awesome pastor ever. You say, well, you didn't know. No, I'm telling you, he was the best he was more teacher-inclined when he would communicate. But he was also maybe a little more, uh, at least out and about, a little more pastoral serious. In other words, I made him nervous. I, I was kind of more like my, my mama, you know, the Overstreet side. So I know there were times my daddy would get in the room with my mom and say, man, he is definitely more Overstreet than Kitchens because my daddy, who was a pastor, his daddy, my granddaddy, was nothing like that. So I, I made him a little nervous. But nothing compared to my son. When we would go to public places, and my daughter loved it. We're a little more like, you know, because I I like to meet people and mess with people and tease with people. My son would get nervous as a cat. We are all three different. Have the same name. You may have an identical twin, and you may think, well, he's ugly too, or she's ugly too. We are all different. Say, I am unique. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) I thought you'd do that. That's good. So here we are. We're studying a prophet named Jeremiah. And most of you who have grown up in the church or studied the prophets, you know that Jeremiah has a nickname. There's a phrase that usually goes, with Jeremiah. And there may be a day that we dig into study of Jeremiah. From time to time, I like to look at different characters of the Bible and do a series on them, whether it's David or Abraham last summer, Elijah, Jeremiah. We may do that. I don't know that I've ever done a series of sermons on Jeremiah. We're just touching on today. But Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. I know that you know that I know that you know there's a lot of prophets there's major prophets, there's minor prophets, but none of, uh, of them have that phrase, the weeping prophet, which is a reminder there's a reason for that. What is it about him that made him different? Well, let's just look at the, the call that, that God put on his life. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And then listen to what he says. 
It's kind of like Moses, you know, when in the burning bush and God called him to be a spokesperson and Moses stuttered. He said, God, I can't be your spokesperson. And he's like, who made your mouth? You see, God doesn't call us to do something he doesn't equip us to do. That's why I like 1 Thessalonians 5.24, the one who calls you is faithful, he will do it, that we shared right down here before you prayed for me, before we began our journey as pastor and people. And so Jeremiah kind of was like, ugh. He wasn't the one saying, hey, let me be your prophet. I'm your guy. I'm your man. No, I sense a humble spirit in him, the weeping prophet. Alas, sovereign Lord, Jeremiah said. There's a word, sovereignty, which means Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. He's recognizing that God is God. I, God, I don't know that you're calling me, but I'm recognizing, I'm proclaiming, you're sovereign. You're God, and I'm not. All things work together for good. So he says, alas, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I'm too young. You must go to everyone I sent you to and say, whatever I command you, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So Jeremiah gets a call from God. He kind of pushes back like, are you sure? I can identify with that. For a long time in my life, at least my teenage years and Childhood teenager, growing up, going to college a little bit. I sensed at time the Lord maybe prompted me to be a minister, and I'd say, are you sure? I'm not like my daddy. I'm not like my grandpa. He died at 12, who was a minister. Mr. Chance had him as a pastor at a local church here years ago. I'm not like those guys that are majoring in Christian studies at Mississippi College. I've seen those guys, and I'm not like most of them. God, are you sure? I can identify with Jeremiah because we're all different. And God says, I'm sure. It ain't about you. It's about me and me calling you to do it. And he did. Why weeping? Just a reminder, the ministry of Jeremiah started in 626 B.C. He saw the downfall of Judah. Now, if you have a guy that has a heart for people and a call on his life, he's going to hurt when his people hurt. He saw the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of God's people, and all these things caused him sorrow, thus the weeping prophet. So automatically we see those things and we see that he had a heart for God. And there were things he was hoping would be accomplished more in revival and regeneration of God's people that didn't always happen. And he would weep and he'd cry out to God, but he was faithful and hung in there because he recognized God called him to that. God asked him to do it and he was doing his best by the grace of God to be obedient. The weeping prophet. Prophet, no other prophet like Jeremiah, no other pastors in the whole world. And you say, well, now, why are you doing this? I'm doing this for a couple of reasons. Again, I'll probably never preach this particular sermon again. One is, you see, to the church at East Haven, 
Last week, when we gathered, we talked about Hebrews 10, 25. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but encourage one another as long as you see the day approaching. Encouragement. It's a ministry for everyone. It's biblical. It's practical. It's powerful. We want to be the aroma of Christ. We want to do what Jesus said, love God, love people. And we can do that when we don't forget the ministry of encouragement. Regardless if you have that gift or not, we're supposed to encourage It's biblical. It's why we come together as much as we can and why we leave to go be salt and light in the world. You know somebody needs encouragement if they're breathing. And then today, I'm doing this because I want you to know who you have right now as we start together. And when you leave, there will be A document out there, probably just this one time, though it'll always be in the office. I did this at my former church as I started. I will give you a basic weekly schedule of your current senior pastor. You say, well, why are you doing that? Because I ain't scared. I ain't trying to hide anything. You need to know every day. Outside of an emergency and the fact that stuff happens and I don't want to be legalistic, this is kind of how I'm wired and how I handle my family and my outside activities and preaching and teaching and all these different things. So it'll be out there. If you want a copy, you don't have to get a copy. But if you want one, you need to have one. Because I don't know what the guy before did or the guy before that or the guy before that or the next guy that comes 40 years from now. I don't know. But I want you to know a little bit about me and my shape. Now, before I do that, if you're taking notes, we had not even gotten to the S yet, but I'm watching the clock. Okay, I'm watching. We're good. We're good, right? We're good. Okay. This is in the introduction. Now, this may be something that was reviewed uh, during the interim time, and that's fine. I'm going to do it quickly because of regardless of my shape next guy's shape past guy's shape to be this pastor elder bishop communicator preacher one called vocationally to be a pastor there are at least these four or five words that this guy has summarized as biblical leadership It's not original with him. I've heard these four words before, but I want to quickly go over them. There's four words. Okay, the first one is character. Now, let me say this. Some pastors, and I'll get to this, are characters. You know, the guy that's the twin, I'm pretty sure he's a character. Some are not that personality. They're less characters. But regardless of if you're a character personality-wise or not, We are supposed to be a person of character. Regardless, that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. Lord, help us. Keep praying for me. But it means we're supposed to be 
a person, his character. Outline, I'm going to go through this pretty quick. First Timothy 3, 1 through 14, Titus 1, 15 through 16. The basic character quality of a godly man is above reproach. To be above reproach means... Um, it means accusations come against the pastor that do not stick because he's not characterized by what he is being accused of. Paul shares four areas in which an elder, bishop, pastor are above reproach. Above reproach in his character, sober-minded, not a drunkard, hospitable, respectable, not a lover of money. First Timothy 3, 2 through 3. Above reproach in his family life. He must be faithful to his wife, not neglecting her, but loving her, caring for her. He must be faithful in his parenting, disciplining his children. If someone cannot manage his own household, how will he be able to manage God's house? 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5. Above reproach, all of this is under character in his public life. The pastor must also be well thought of by outsiders. 1 Timothy 3, 7. How will a pastor lead if he does not have a good reputation? So a pastor, whoever stands behind this pulpit, should be a person, not perfect, but has character. In other words, if any church of Jesus Christ has one that is immoral, illegal, unethical, and it's true, there should be leadership that addresses it just like that. Okay? I believe that. Now, notice, these are biblical, those are based on biblical principles of character, of conviction, not preferences. There's a big difference. Sometimes people in churches all over the world will come against a pastor or pastors that serve on staff because of preferences, and it has nothing to do with character or convictions. We need to be careful about all that. So, character conviction. A pastor must be a person that stands firm on his convictions. Titus 1.9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine also to rebu- and also to rebuke those who contradict. Titus 1.9, the pastor must fear God, not man, and stand on his convictions. It's a tragedy in our world how many people are afraid of man but not God. We're supposed to love everybody, but we're to fear God. And I think sometimes pastors and others may tippy-toe around because they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We need to fear God and do what is right and let the chips fall. God will take care of us. It may not be easy. It may not be easy. But God will take care of us. Peacekeeper peacemaker blessed are the peacemakers not keepers big difference we'll do a sermon on that sometime some people try to keep the peace because they want to please everybody yes that'll be fine yes that'll be fine fine. no 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 you got to love everybody but you need to do what's right peacemaker means sometimes at the right place the right time you address things so you can keep unity for the body of Christ. Then there's care. Here's the third word. The, the word pastor indicates feeding, protecting, caring for the flock. Love and compassion. Leading by example. First Peter 5, 1 through 4. 
They are with the flock when they gather on the Lord's day as much as possible, cares for one another in members' meetings. They care by displaying deeds of love for other members, pray for members, visitation, shut in. They care for other brothers by engaging in disciplining relationships, and they care for unbelievers by sharing the gospel regularly. Care. And then the last word is competent. While Scripture emphasizes character over competency, the pastor must be a man who is able to teach 1 Timothy 3, 2. In other words, communicate God's word. Now, here's what I have taught before in preaching conferences. One time in South Africa, uh, specifically for an example. Here's what you need to know. When you understand your pastor, wherever you go, you go here, you may never come back, you might. When you understand a pastor's shape, you may better understand why he communicates like he does. Okay? Let me say that again. Every pastor you had in the past has more than likely communicated, but more than likely they communicate a little different. Oh, they're going to preach the Bible. Absolutely. You come up here on a Sunday morning we don't read scripture, and I'm just up here the whole time telling stories. Somebody better talk to me. I think it's important to share illustrations and visuals. Jesus was the master communicator, and often he would paint a picture so people that were listening would understand. Oh, I believe in that. You've seen that already. But we need to be people of the book. But how we communicate can be different based on our S-H-A-P-E. It's another reason I'm sharing this with you today. Now, the S, here we are, spiritual gifts. I'm still watching the clock. We're good. Spiritual gifts. In the Bible, you see that in Romans 12, 6 through 8, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, and 28. In the new members class today, which I attended, you're thinking, well, hey, you just joined the church. You go to the new members class? Yes. And I'm telling you, Sonia did a super job. I'm telling you, the, little, the, the, the book is done with excellence. It was good. She did a great job. And here's what I would tell you, and I was hoping I would find this out. A spiritual gifts inventory. Where are you, Sonia? Where have I seen you? Where are you? Oh, she's back She's back there. Yeah, she's, yeah. I, I told people on Wednesday, if I really want to see, I wear my glasses. But I don't like to wear them when I'm preaching, especially on Sunday morning. But I see you back there, Sonia. Here's, here's what she did. She gave everybody that came through the member class, along with other things, a spiritual gifts inventory. If you've never taken a spiritual gifts inventory, I would encourage you to take it because it gives you an idea of how God has shaped you and wired you spiritually as a child of God. When he seals you with the Holy Spirit, which he also went over, then he gives you a gift, spiritual gifts. And the closer we get to the Lord, the more we have a better understanding how God has shaped us spiritually. So so here are the ones that when I... Take those spiritual gifts inventory, and over the years, uh, people have said this. These are mine. Exhortation. Last week, we talked about Barnabas, okay? And then administration. You look at Nehemiah. He was administratively inclined. Other things that pop up at times is leadership and faith. So here's what I would tell you. That's the way 
that God has wired me. Now, when I say administration, some may say, well, why aren't you a church administrator? Because that's not what God called me to do and to be. And because I'm more of a visionary than one that helps execute. I need people to help me execute the vision. And so I'm administratively inclined, which means like, I'll have a pretty idea by God's grace what I want to accomplish tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. And you can ask Kelly, we go on vacation. I'm the guy that says, okay, tomorrow we need to do this. Tomorrow we need to do that. I'm administratively inclined. And so sometimes when I see that not being going on, I'm not likely to jump into it, but I'm likely to say, hey, help me, bro. Help me, sister, with this because we need to work on this. It's administratively inclined. But exhortation, let me tell you an example of this. This coming... Wednesday, we're going to have the opportunity at 5, and then at 6.15, we go into different groups to minister. Things keep clicking like they have so far because others have helped organize it, and I'm grateful for that, to minister to those that were affected by the fire recently. They're going to come here and eat with us, and we'll get to know them a little bit and perhaps have a chance to know how to minister to them. In other words, we're going to be able to encourage them. I am fired up about that. I can't wait. I can't wait. Why? Because that's how God's wired me. That's one of the greatest things that happened to me last week when I found out we were going to be able to do that. I thought, yes! Those folks have got to need, surely they need encouragement. They need brothers and sisters in Christ to meet them where they are, to at least feed, feed a meal, and it may be some relationships grow out of that and have a chance to minister to them in a different way. That's how God has wired me. What spiritual gift and gifts has he given you? Don't be jealous of others' gifts. Celebrate how he's wired you and get after to it. Y'all know what that means, don't you? Good. I'm so glad to be back in Mississippi. That means get after it. That means do it. That means don't waste your life. That means be passionate about it. And then you got heart. S, spiritual gifts. H is heart. Nehemiah is an example. If you look at his life, now here's what heart means. Let me give you some words. Hopes, dreams, interest, and affections. Hopes. What does he mean, your heart? Something that can like bring a tear to your eye because as a kingdom-minded person, you have a heart for it. It could be uh, adoption. It could be believing in life, pro-life. Not because of some political thing, because of God's Word. Passion, children. What, What are some heart things that you have? Hopes, dreams, interest, affections. Me, here's some words that come to mind. Sports, diversity, students, leadership, and Mississippi. Now, here's what you need to know. I adopted Florida as my adopted state. I probably still have a few sand particles in my shoe. I am grateful that God has allowed me to serve in Florida several different times. 
people you meet, the books you read, the places you go. I've learned a lot about different cultures. I'm going to give you an example of that in a minute. By allowing, by God allowing me to go to different places. Some guys stay in a church for decades. I admire those guys. But you know what? Their path is not my path and my path is not their path. God bless them. I admire people like my close friend, Jeff Clark, who pastors in Hattiesburg. We've been tight for years. We graduated from seminary. The dude has never left Hattiesburg. He's still there. Now, he was a youth minister, social pastor, pastor. And then uh, Greg over at First Baptist, I admire him. I tell him, man, you got, it shows you have character. We were youth ministers back in the day. And then I think of Jim Phillips at North uh, Greenwood. Mentor-type pastor that I love very much. He's been there forever. Diversity, sports, students, leadership, Mississippi. I posted about a Mississippi mug yesterday on my background, and I had some people from Florida mess with me. Yeah, but your heart's in Florida. Yeah, and they put a Florida uh, state image on there and they're doing that because they know if they 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 tease me that means they love me and I love them and I have no regrets love the people there if they if some of them are watching I have nothing against Florida or anything but I'm just telling you part of my passion and my heart are those things interest affections dreams and hopes and God has allowed me with a new assignment to be here so let me tell you uh, how this is a part of my heart, which is also why I'm excited about Wednesday night in my former church. We had a lady named Miss Dorcas. Kelly smiling and grinning. Miss Dorcas was probably like 80 or 90 years old. She was from Jamaica. Jamaica. She still talking like this. Pastor Hal. She's a Miss, Miss Dorcas. She wore a hat every Sunday. She talk like this, although I may be talking some other language. I'm not sure. <laughs> and she made a certain dish and meal that she thought was really good, but we weren't real fond of it. And she wanted to make sure Kelly's down here like she might be listening. I love you, Miss Dorcas. She was wanting to make sure we got that meal before we left. So here's what you need to know. Here I am, born in Hasburg, raised, you know, accent never changed. I am pastoring Miss Dorcas from Jamaica who wears a hat, who tells me one day, Pastor Hal, I know your mother-in-law, and if you cut up too much, I will spank you on the butt <laughs> and tell your mother-in-law. That's Mr. Dorcas. I love Mr. Dorcas. Jesus met people where they were. I like diversity, not because I'm trying to prove anything. Good gracious alive. But because Jesus met people where they were, and in heaven we go all be there. And so that doesn't mean we do anything goofy to try to do that. We can be intentional, though, and just meet people where they were. Mr. Dorcas. Heart, A, abilities. Joseph, go down your cross here. Joseph in the New Testament was a what? He was a carpenter. Okay? Taught Jesus, other children, a little bit about carpentry. The abilities are natural talents. What are your natural talents? 
For example, the soloist today, she knocked it out of the park. She did a great job. I had no idea she could sing like that. I thought, look at you. I moved my seat over here because I was hoping she'd, she'd look over there and I'd say, come out of there. Can Adam sing like that? I, I can't, you know, I, look, look. I worship, he's up here playing. The, I took guitar one time after seminary. I was a youth minister and most of the guys were playing the guitar. I thought, well, why don't I try it? Maybe there's a hidden talent there. I lasted one month. Awful. Don't have, can't do it. There's talents that people have. So you need to know that I am very limited. I've never been accused of being a tech geek, mechanic, musician, carpenter, cook, etc. Okay? When I was younger, I liked sports. When I was younger, I was fairly fast and had a good arm. Okay? I could throw the ball. And you say, well, can you, can you still run fast? Not without pulling a muscle. Can you still throw the ball? It's okay. I did like sports, but that doesn't necessarily help you a whole lot when you get older. And I wasn't some great athlete. I just enjoyed it. So I had some limited abilities. But I also would say, well, do you have any other abilities? Well, I've been, I've been told that I, I do uh, like to, uh, as far as leadership and connecting with all kinds of people. Um, but guess what? That's it, folks. That's it. You say, you mean you can't fix your car or maybe change the oil? Nope. You mean, I'm telling you, I have great limitations. And I've picked up that a number of you that have gotten to know me or knew me back when or leaders know, you know what, we got to help this brother out. He's got great limitations, and I do, abilities. Then there's personality. Simon Peter was a mess. If you've studied the New Testament, Simon Peter was a mess. All disciples range in their personality test. So if you've got personality tests, you may be familiar with this one, the lion, the beaver, the golden retriever, and the otter. The lion is the more the leader type. The, the beaver is analytical. The golden retriever is pretty steady, and the otter can be the crazy one. Okay, I'm a mix of a lion and an otter. The more comfortable I am and the longer I stay, the more I tend to exhibit both. Just heads up. Now, last week, for example, and I'm not the one that's going to bust up in the, some class at seminary and sit on the front row and try to dominate. That's not what I'm saying. That's not me. I try to lay low, get a feel for things, and then kind of ease into it. Like I went to King's Daughter Fitness Center last week. I sat on the back row. I kept my mouth shut. And I'm sure everybody in there that was in there probably thought, hey, you new pastor's really shy. Because I was. I just sat back there and tried to keep up and do my thing. But it could be over time that might change if history's the same. I went to an associational meeting. Didn't say a word. I don't have to say anything. Preachers don't have to go to meetings and feel like they got to say anything. Come on. Sometimes we need to keep our mouth shut. So anyway, I met the meeting. Just listen. Somebody said, well, how? You're mighty quiet. So I said something. Hopefully it wasn't too stupid, but I said something. So I think, you know, you kind of ease into things. So as an otter, there's something you need to know. There's about, about those two things. One with an otter, I may say or do something that shocks you at times, 
give me some grace and remember I was a youth pastor. All those guys are nuts. I was a youth pastor. I've got at least one of my former youth that's in the church and another one that teaches uh, at the local school. You can ask them. So I was a youth pastor. And then when my dad passed away at 26, there were two pastors that had great influence on me, Jim Futrell and Dr. Ken Offord, and they're a lot nuttier than I am. So they influenced me. And then as far as a lion, there may be times I come across too strong with body language per my wife. I am naturally a passionate person. Please give me some grace. Okay? That's just kind of the way I'm wired. And then I had my dad who grew up. He didn't mess with stuff. He was strong in the house. He loved me, encouraged me, but I, he modeled things for me. And then I had certain coaches that would say, hey, this, you know, they modeled things for me. So if I ever come across too far with body language, which my soul's close to me say something like that, just give me some grace. Okay, I tend to be uh, a, a kind of a, a passionate communicator. And so if you think, well, thank Tony Dungy, Tim Tebow. They're both fine Christian men, but they both have different personality. You'd say Tebow's a little more passionate how to communicate than Tony Dungy. That doesn't mean one of them's right or wrong. It just means they're different. So understand that. Notes on this. Personality affects how we use our gifts and abilities and... No personality is an excuse for being unchristlike. No personality is an excuse for being unchristlike. Here's what we do sometimes. We say, well, that's just so-and-so. You just need to know them. That's just the way they are. Oh, really? If we're not bearing the fruit of the Spirit and we're not being Christ-like, then somebody needs to call us out at the right time in the right way. I think sometimes as believers in Christ, we give people a pass because we say, well, that's just the way they are. Really? Maybe they shouldn't be that way. Maybe we shouldn't be that way. E stands for experiences. First, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 6, lessons teach us, mature us, and can be used in the sovereignty of God, Romans 8, 28. We've all had these experiences, educational experiences, good experiences, cultural experiences, bad experiences, difficult experiences. God can use all of those things. In 2 Corinthians, it said, God helps us so we might go through something to help somebody else. For example, if somebody loses a child, I've never been there. But I usually will find a deacon or a leader that can help me go minister to them. Because I can only sympathize, not empathize. If somebody has lost a family, I usually might be that guy or that person at this point in my life. At 26, my dad died of cancer. At, um, when I first went to St. Pete, my mother passed away. And then my sisters in the last year and a half, both of them died. My two oldest, my only siblings. And so if somebody loses a family member, I might can help with that. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He cares for those that trust in him, and I've lived long enough to have a variety of experiences, but in life and ministry, there's always something new. Yogi Berra said, it ain't over till it's over. There's always something else. And family, in conclusion, I, I spent time with my kids. I didn't want to be the preacher that said one, that, that sometimes say, well, I wish I had spent more time with the kids. I, I wasn't perfect, but because of being a PK, I tried to make an effort to do that and be intentional I date my mate. My family is a high priority. My assignment is care, share, and dare. Care, I had on the job the training. Pastoral care, I told you about my dad. I enjoy it. It's not necessarily hard for me because God's wired me that way. I want to 
um, encourage people and help people and visit with people. But I also want you to know I'm one person, and I have other two components. That's why deacons help with that. That's why Sunday school classes are helpful, and that's why you have Sunday school and other staff members that help care. That's part of a job description of a pastor. Share, that's communicating. Sunday, Wednesday, other speaking engagements. This week I'm speaking to, uh, at the Brookhaven Academy. Sometimes you may or may not know those things, but I'm trying to figure out, God, help me say the right thing. I have to prepare. I set aside times to study, but I am not the guy that hung out at the MC library when I was in college to study. I went to the library to meet girls. <laughs> so don't think I'm that guy. That's not the way. I I do this because God called me. I do this because I went to school. I do this because I've had mentors. I do this because God wants me to. But I have to work at it and get on my knees and say, God, help me. And then there's dare. That's leading. Vision caster tend to be. And if I don't have staff and lay help, and I get down the weeds, it's going, to be, it's going to be tough on all of us. Jeremiah, there was no one like him. I'm not my daddy, my granddaddy, or anyone else. And you, what's your shape? God has shaped you. And it's exciting. You are unique. No other fingerprint like you. Fulfill your purpose and don't wish you were somebody else. I heard a story about the duck. He tried out for the track team. He didn't do too good. He needed to be on a swim team, and then he excelled. Heard about the rabbit. He tried out for the swim team, didn't do too good. But he was on the track team. He excelled. Jesus helps you be your best self. Do you know him? If you don't, Today, during the invitation, won't you come? We'll not embarrass you, but we want you to know that we believe that Jesus can save anybody. He can change our hearts and lives and change our trajectory in life and give us hope, and we can be the best version of who he wants us to be. Dear God, I thank you. You've called us to be kingdom-minded people and to be unique because you made us all different. In Christ's name, amen. Please stand. We have invitation counselors that will be here. We have staff that will be here. What God, ever God is leading you to do, come find out what it means to join this church. Come trust Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. Find out what it means to serve or go on a mission trip. Whatever it is God is laying on your heart, come talk to somebody. Don't leave here and say, I wish I had, or come to the altar and pray. There is nothing wrong with that.